the show. Your show for personal development with expert insights and interviews to help you, me, and we work to be our best and live our best life. Powered by Island City here on the Coach V Show, where iron sharpens iron. Together, we rise. I am juiced to have a champion on the show today, someone who I watch grow and develop, and even more so following his career as an executive. I've just become an even further fan and bigger fan, and I wanted to have him bring his life lessons, the behavioral models, and also his success principles to you, the listening audience of the Coach V Show. Mr. Jared Zabransky is on the show this evening. His parents are Steve and Tana Zabransky in Hermiston, Oregon. Shout out H-Town, Oregon. Father of two to Savannah Zabransky and Rowan Zabransky. Engaged to the Vanessa Ferguson three-time bowl MVP, team captain of the 07 Fiesta Bowl champions at the Boise State University, 2008. I mean, how many people get an opportunity to be on a cover of a video game? 2008 EA Sports college football cover athlete, and then two-time ESPY award recipient in 2007 with the Boise State Broncos for the best game and also the best play of that season. 33 and five as a collegiate starter. Let me say that again, 33 and five in division one football is absolutely unheard of. Professional football career after being drafted, um, signing as a free agent with the Houston Texans, practice roster in 2007, was on the roster with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2008 and the Edmonton Eskimos from 09 to 11 where he has a 2-0 record as a starter. Avid pursuer of excellence. He loves to coach and teach athletics, especially to youth and his own two children. He loves to travel and been fortunate to visit 30 countries for both business and pleasure. Z is also a keynote speaker, published writer, and he's all about helping others as part of his passion and calling. Also the founder of The Wish, Wishes Golf Tournament, which is now in year 10, all of which is grounded in his faith in Christ, his Lord and Savior. Coach V, show audience, please welcome to the show, yours truly, the legend of the blue from Hermiston, Oregon, Jared Zabransky. Z! Coach, that was... Uh... What a shout out for uh, for Hermiston, Oregon to start out there. Huh? H Town, man, people think H Town is only in 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 uh in Texas, man. H Town started in Hermiston, Oregon, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least at least I can say I live in H Town still, so I'm I'm just right out outside of uh, Houston. So I, I went from one H Town to, well, to the other H Town, right? To yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Z, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you're a busy executive, a busy father, planning a wedding and doing all that. And just the fact that you take the time to come on this show and share with us so that we can all, myself and the audience included, can work to be our best and live our best lives. Jared Zabransky, what is your genesis point and where did you start? Well, I mean, it really started in Hermiston, like you gave a shout out to uh, an upbringing uh, in a, uh, 
rural area that was predominantly known for agriculture. My, my folks, my grandfather was a farmer. Um, they homesteaded out in Oregon. Um, built built a life and a culture and a work ethic for themselves uh, that started with my grandfather. Um, mm -hmm. Him him and uh, my grandmother um, both both deceased now. God rest their souls. Uh, and I know that they're up there uh, with our Lord and Savior watching down mm -hmm. on all the 137 uh, living descendants from, from their patriarch. And, and uh, the, my, my grandmother was a, was a true matriarch of, of nearly 140 kids. I mean, it's, wow. just, it's, it's wild to think about, but uh, she, she really was uh, the quintessential focal point for our family. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you get you get family that is, you know, seven children, and then those seven children they're LDS, right? So that kind of explains right, right. explains all of the the, the children. But uh, you you get the seven, and then you go multiples after that. And you know, when you have your own family, and you have the seven children, and you know, the first set of grandchildren, it's easy to get everybody together, right? You know, it, it's, it's, I, I should take that back. It's not easy, but it can be done. But when you start growing into that third and fourth generation, the families start to transition into their own, you know, Christmases and Thanksgivings. Um, you know, you, you, you pray and hope that everybody can get together on occasion a year or a couple of times a, uh, every few years with family reunions and such. But with grandma, uh, Everybody wanted to get back to the middle of nowhere, Oregon, to see grandma. Right. And that, I think, spoke volumes to what she instilled in her family and the closeness in, and uh, the importance of the, the family was, was something that uh, is extremely ingrained uh in in the fabric of who i am so um man i still say that with uh with a little bit of a heavy heart you know so uh that is extremely important that's the genesis that's you know mm. grandma grandpa and then obviously you know growing up in that area the you know the stuff that my my grandfather and father did as far as like the farming um, you know, you got to get up early, man. Like you're, you're on a grind for, you know, pretty much four months a year. It's, it's, you know, sunrise to sunset and, you know, the hour before on either side for three months of harvest. And then you're preparing, you know, for that harvest for the rest of the year, working on your equipment. So I just see, I see two guys, you know, my grandfather, my father, and then everybody in the family had to work, right? He, he supported the farm. So, you know, that work ethic was instilled and ingrained at a really young age, which allowed me to, to understand that things are, are obtainable 
and you can accomplish so many things through uh, a work ethic that uh, you couldn't do otherwise. I mean, hard work outworks talent any day of the week. I mean, you, you, you see it time and time again, you know, talent that doesn't work, you know, hard work, you know, outworks that and it's tried and true. You see it, in, you see it in athletics, you see it in uh, the corporate world, you see it in day-to-day -day business. If someone, and, and I really appreciated a uh, post that you had your uh, testament to your father on LinkedIn here recently, just what that does, not only for yourself and your loved ones, but how it impacts everybody around you that you may not, uh, you may not realize the impact that it's, that it's happening at the time, but when people come back, you know, years down the road and they said, man, you know, I really appreciated, you know, how hard you worked or the effort that you went to and the links that you were willing to, you know, go to, to, to achieve the business, to win the game, to, to teach, uh, my son, how to take a drop or what have you. So that's, that was started in Hermiston, Oregon man, and, and, uh, on the farm and, uh, just got to carry with me through, through life. So that, right. I guess that's the Genesis. So that's the Genesis point, uh, from grandparents to almost 140, 137, 140 that have come from that lineage. And then, <clears throat> that anything can be accomplished, right? So what was that for you in terms of, I mean, Hermiston, Oregon farmer became this exceptional athlete, division one player, one of the all-time winningest college quarterbacks in the history of college football, just not in a conference or for a school, in the history of college uh, uh, football. How did that work out? Did you play sports and talk to us about what you had to do, like do your chores, go to school and go to sports? How did that work out? Yeah, fortunate for me, I was kind of uh, uh, a mistake. I was eight years after my closest sibling. <laughs> right. uh, so my family, my, my parents kind of had their first four um, within like five years. And then right. I came eight years later. So I was kind of like later. Eight years later, yeah. yeah. So I was kind of like an only coach fee. And right. so my mom really took to me and kind of coddled me at a young age. My my siblings joke, we, we lived in a an old farmhouse that had a basement that uh, they didn't see me very much for like the first couple of years because mom was down there taking care of me and, right. and that kind of just stuck like I was I was a mom's boy um, and and she made sure that I I was doing everything that I that I wanted to do I, I didn't go without a want and, right. and that's in regards to um, uh, the athletic side um, I wanted to be an athlete I remember watching uh, Notre Dame football games at the age of about four, we had three channels, and one of the channels was channel 42, which was NBC, and right. Notre Dame football was on every Saturday. Every Saturday on NBC, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and I uh, I just got from an early age, and all my cousins and, and siblings, they all played sports. So I I was constantly, I have 33 first cousins, and out of our first cousin group that uh, was on my dad's side, uh, there were nine of us that played collegiate athletics. Wow. Um, five of us that played uh, Division One football, six of us, sorry, that played Division One football. Um, the, you, you're familiar with the Anna's, uh, so that mm-hmm. was, so that the Pat and Etienne married two of my dad's sisters. Right. So there's 10, 10 kids in those two families, four boys in, in one and then four girls in the other. Um, and all, all four of those boys played division one football. So we would get family gatherings and it would just be, I was, I was quite a bit younger. So they, they would play and I would kind of watch and then I'd go, you know, and try to compete with them. And I was always wanting to be the best and, um, and, and I had just a constant visual, uh, aid to like people competing Right. because my, my family was constantly competing against each other, whether that was, you know, playing a pickup game of football or playing on grandpa's card table, you know, it was, uh, you trying to win constantly. So that competition aspect was, was, established and ingrained at a very early age and then I just I I always wanted to have some sort of ball in my hand whether it was a basketball a baseball a golf club hitting a golf ball or a football a football is a little bit tougher to play by yourself but um you know I found myself out of the yard out of my yard you know kind of throwing the football to myself and visualizing you know scoring the, the big play and running up and down the field and uh, you know, the stuff that we do now and that I coach these young kids on the proper technique and form and cutting off your outside foot, and yep. being able to accelerate and decelerate. I was out there just moving around and doing those things, you know, building that muscle memory, not knowing what I was doing, but I just love ball. I'd watch a football game and go out in the fall or winter and throw the football to myself and juke the air and you know throw the ball and run and dive and catch it yeah yeah constantly just building those those memory receptors in my my bioskeletal system and just constantly doing something coach feed whether that was shooting a basketball you know playing one-on-one or one-on-none um working always to try to be the best and then i like i said my mom always made sure i was in uh, you know, baseball, basketball, football, whatever the season was, I was signed up. I always had the equipment that I needed. Um, and then I just wanted to be the best, man. And that was, that's kind of, if it was my best friend and I'd take him out to play one-on-one, I wouldn't take it easy on him. And, right. you know, we'd compete against each other. The guys that I ran with, my friends in high school, were still friends to today and, and to this day. And, you know, my three of my best friends were the, three of the other four starters on the basketball team. And, you know, we'd go find a gym and play, or we'd go, you know, toss a baseball and play home run derby. That was just, there was nothing else to do in H-Town, man. I mean, it's still not a whole lot more to do there, but. Right, right. It's still the same, you know, right? Yeah. So it was, it was ball or, or, or nothing really. And, you know, as you start to progress, you start to see, I start, and I, and I knew I was pretty good. I mean, I, I didn't know outside of kind of my area, but then you start playing teams outside of the area. Our baseball team in Little League and Babe Ruth, 
Uh, we had a good team. We took second in the state in Babe Ruth, 13-year-olds and 15 wow. a Beaverton team. Um, <laughs> our baseball teams were solid. Our AAU basketball teams were okay, not great. So we'd have to go down and play the Portland schools and get beat up pretty good. But high school was uh, uh, it was all conference um, in all three. Uh, I was uh, all-state shortstop and an all-state point guard. I didn't get any state honors in football, um, but mm. I I uh, I played well. We had a kid who was a was a senior in, in Redmond that threw for like forty five hundred yards. He ended up getting uh, all conference player of the year, and that was a he's a he's a pretty decent player. But um, I just I wanted to be the best man, and that's what it was. And I I knew I had some talent. I had some God given talent. My cousins played. I had some talent from my, my uh, grandma and grandpa's side with then my mother's father, Frank Munkus. Grew up in the south side of Chicago. Uh, got a full ride to the University of Washington to play running back. He went to a right. school called Tyler Jester on the south side. And that's what brought that side of the family, who was Lithuanian, um, out to uh, the west coast. And so he was a good football player, big guy. So I had some God-given uh, and my genes were, uh, I guess were set to, but the work ethic that my, 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 my grandparents and my parents instilled in me, that's what propelled me to, to the level that I was able to get to. And I guess I was talking to Vanessa about this the other day, uh, and somebody else, oh, uh, some friends of ours. Um, and one of the greatest compliments I've ever received uh, was from uh, both Coach Pete and Coach Harson, uh, and, and they had mentioned something to the likes of I was the hardest working quarterback that they had ever been around. And that mm -hmm. outside of the, the <clears throat> accolades, I mean, beyond those, hearing and, and being given that compliment is not only humbling, but uh, I, I feel uh, you know, great pride in, 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 in that compliment. Wow. And, and when is it that you recognize, because because it's interesting as coaching and as, as parents, I'm, I'm around other parents who are like, well, you know what, they just don't know. I'm like, no, kids know who the leader is and who's the best and who is it. Mm -hmm. I don't fake the funk on that. I just talk about, hey, this is what you need to do to get better. Hey, focus on this, like one thing with the little kids, right? Because Z, I know nothing about freaking baseball, right? And then Three years ago, four years ago, my son was like, I want to play T-ball. I don't watch baseball. I don't, I don't, I never played baseball, but my son wanted to play. So I'm like, okay, cool. Right. So then they asked me if I'd coach, not knowing who I was uh, from anything in my past. But I'm like, yeah, I mean, I could teach a, a five-year-old how to work hard. Right. But I mean, a kids know who's good and who isn't. So I just keep it real. When did you know? that you've started to separate yourself and start to become that leader. Let's stay in that uh, little league Babe Ruth time all the way up to high school. When did you know? Yeah, uh, right around third grade in baseball, you get, you get to try out for the majors and right. that's third through sixth grade. And I think I was the first third grader selected, someone told me. And then to the, majors? the first game, 
Yeah, to the yeah. My my son right now is in AAA. I I don't think he could play in the majors, right? He's not. He's nine years old, and you made it in the majors. That's big made, time. Made it, made it to the majors, and then our first game, uh, Justin Simmons um, was the pitcher, and he was like the best pitcher in the league. Just could throw gas at that age. I don't know what it, what it would be now, but yeah. he was like he was like in the '60s as a little leaguer. And you know, 60s, low mid 60s, and he threw one, forcing him right down the middle of the plate. And I one hopped the fence, my first at bat. And I tried to, I tried to stretch a double into a triple, and got into a pickle, and they yeah, got yeah. me out. But at that time, you know, that the lights were kind of on for me. Um, at that time, I was wanting to compete against you know kids that were at least a year or two years above me in the area because I was. I was better than the rest of the kids that were in my grade. Right. Um, fourth grade basketball uh, was the first year that we could play basketball. And uh, there wasn't a kid that could stop me. And it just, I, I was advanced. So from then on, it was every year, unless we played it. I remember one time uh, during summer league, we were playing Wilson High School and Chris Rogers was a two guard. I played mm -hmm. point guard too. Chris Rogers was a four-year starter at the University of Arizona for Lou Holtz. And he was the first guy that I ever played basketball against. And this is, I was going into my junior year, I think. And I just couldn't guard him. He was, he was the only time I'd ever played anybody in basketball that I was like, this guy's better than me. Right. Now, and, and then beyond that, I'd never played against Chris again in high school. And there wasn't a guy that I played that I was like, oh, this guy's better than me. Um, so that at, at probably I'd say nine or 10 years old in every sport, I felt like I was until, until, and this happens for everybody. You can attest to this coach B until you land on campus, your freshman year. Right. And then you go, Oh, geez, not everybody's pretty good. And yeah. then you're the kid and you got full grown men that have been, you know, college programs for three or four years at that time. So. Yeah. And then, so I, I often talk to my clients initially when I first start with them about, yes, you need to work hard. And so that way you can more effectively and efficiently pursue what it is that you want to achieve and or succeed in. But then you become what it is that you want. And then now you start attracting what it is that you want to you. Right, mm -hmm. Z? So yeah. now you became an elite player. How did you attract notoriety and opportunity to becoming and getting an, an opportunity to play for Boise State University. How did that work? Well, it was, it was a lot of uh, the summer programs that we were in. Um, that was really the time that I was able to capture some visibility on the state Northwest kind of sort of scale. Mm -hmm. You play interleague, unless you make it you know, to the tournament uh, in basketball or deep in the playoffs in football, which we didn't really have success in until my senior year. Um, it's really tough. It's not like it is now with the huddle and yep, yep. Uh, YouTube and huddle and all these accessible uh, platforms that coaches can go on. I mean, you, if you remember, we would get a letter in the mail. And you'd have to write down your, basically your size, your weight, you know, yeah, your questionnaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everybody lies on it. Right. I think, yeah. I think that was, I don't know. I think I listed, I was six, four, which was like over an inch taller than I was. And I was probably <laughs> 10 pounds heavier than I really was. Right. You right. Know, but, 
and you try to turn somebody's head and, and that's in, until I got to uh, those summer programs where we were able to go and compete against other schools with a little bit more attraction in the, in those tournaments or those camps from collegiate coaches. And that's where that really happened. And really for Boise State, um, you know, my junior year, I, I, I think I was first team all conference in all three and got like player of the year for the area. So there was some a little bit of notoriety following me into the Boise State football camp. And I had a, I had a, um, American Legion tournament that I was like a day late to the camp. And when I got there, like the first day there, Coach Pete walked right up to me as I was throwing. So they must have known I was coming. Right. But, but I, I don't know to what extent, right? Because I didn't feel like Hermison was really on the radar. Right, right. As a hotbed to not recruit high school right. football players. Um, but really that camp and, and uh, I think I was the MVP of the camp. And that's when like Coach Hawk and Coach Pete really started to um, realize that, you know, potentially this kid could come play for us. Right. It was really kind of in those summer camps. Yeah. And then now you, you get an opportunity, you come to campus. And then I think that's when I came on as a grad assistant at Boise State. And then, like you said, you get to campus, you're like, wow, these guys are pretty good. And I live in Elk Grove, California now, where Ryan Dinwiddie is a legend here, right? Yeah. So you yeah. get there and RD is the man. I mean, the dude plays hard, parties hard, goes to school and comes out and rocks, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. everybody knows. I mean, RD is just yeah. a gamer like that. Yeah. Yeah. How did that feel like? And what was the life lesson to now face maybe the, the toughest competition you've ever faced? How, how did that feel yeah. like? We, I haven't shared this story with too many people outside of close, uh, close friends that are aware of it, but about week three of camp, I almost quit. Right, right. I'm, I'm standing, I'm standing in the walkway. Uh, right where like Dale's office is in the old, you know, the old locker room where Dale had his, you know, the window and I'm standing right there and, and just like kind of bummed. Things weren't like quite going how I thought they would go. And Billy Wingfield and I had a conversation. Right. And it was a conversation I'll never forget. And in essence, Billy said, Jared, you know, everybody, probably shocked that, you know, there's this many good players that you're battling with. Everybody here's good. Yeah. But you need to know that the coaches like you, that we all see potential in you and that you have a legitimate opportunity to be the quarterback here and to be the quarterback. Um, and hearing that from him, who was one of our star players. Yeah. Yeah. Major star. Yeah who I respected and really liked Billy as an individual and, and, uh, you know, was a fan. I mean, he impressed us, you know, weekly with you know, stuff he would do on the field. And, uh, you know, the guy was a worker, um, and, and hearing that from him gave me that little extra, uh, glimpse of hope that I needed that, Hey, 
might not be as bad as I think it is. You know, that self-doubt or that, you know, affliction that a person goes through that gets them, you know, leaning towards, hey, this might not be for me, um, which would have been the first time I had quit any sport. Right. Uh, and I just, I, it, was, it was a God thing. Billy was there. There was no one else there. Um, so that, that was about three weeks into redshirt year. And as you know, we go down to Arkansas and RD breaks his foot. Right. And who was the backup at that time? Was it Mike Sanford? BJ Rode. Oh, BJ Rode. That's right. Yeah. And Mike was the number three. Oh, my and goodness. You had RD, BJ, Mike Sanford, and you. That and was some QB power right there. And Legadu. Uh, Nane. Nane. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Here, right? and, and LA and I were battling kind of as the, you know, the freshman quarterback. And when RD got hurt, that bumped BJ the starter, Mike to two, and we traveled with three. So that bumped me to the third spot. I'd end up kind of winning the battle with Legadu. And that was definitely another God thing, was forcing me to get in to learn the system beyond what a redshirt, you know, timeline typically right. looks like. Right. So I got, you know, a step way ahead. And even though I wasn't uh, you know, getting the reps with the ones or the twos. I've, you know, spot in with the twos sometimes, but I was getting, you know, maybe two or three reps of practice and then I'd go over on scout team, but I was forced to know the game plan, forced to be ready to play. And typically freshmen aren't, aren't doing that, especially quarterbacks. Right. They're typically going into the kind of that red shirt mode, um, which again, prepared me earlier than, uh, then kind of anticipated and uh, really got me ready for the next year's competition as well. Wow. And, and really, I mean, Z, ever since I met you, so that must have been 02, right? Was that yep. the 02? Because I came 02. in in 03. <clears throat> yeah. So I come in and meet you. I think it was, it was you, uh, Sanford, and, and, and um, RD was, RD, the, RD was the senior. Right? And then LA starts to start shifting over to wide receiver. I mean, it's just a bunch of things. But I mean, I really have always seen you as a person that just freaking met adversity uh, face face because I was there when we went to Georgia, right? And, and we got smacked up, first yeah. time ever ranked. I was there. You know, we played, was it, did we play Matty Ice? Was it Boston College? Boston College at home in 05. Yeah, and then we just came up short, right? Like, yeah. and then, like, so how how did adversity just build you up? You and LA were probably one of the most athletic dudes on the team. And then one of you had to go uh, to wide receiver. And I remember being in those staff meetings, but from your vantage point, that how your college career unfolded and you were gonna quit. And then some God conversation time with Billy Wingfield, another legend on the blue, you stayed with it, you stayed in faith, RD gets hurt. And then the next thing you know, you're in the mix, Z. Yeah. Talk yeah. about how just facing adversity face first after that. You're like, I'm not gonna quit. 
I'm just going to go. Because ever, ever, ever since I met you, you, you would always be like the first guy on the bleachers. You'd always be vocal. But you always had that like kind of Polynesian. We, you and I kind of always had that kind of connection. Like, man, this guy's a good dude, right? You're a good, he's a good dude. And he wants, he wants to be a factor, right? How did going through all that adversity and being able to face adversity and deal with it? Well, there's, I think when I look at adversity and as building blocks, right? Mm. If you're you're kind of building your legacy, and you've got to you've got to be able to persevere through those hard times, and, and I think I think that what happens often. Um, is that people find the the shorter route or the easier route to avoid that? But what what we were faced with, and that sometimes that's a smart answer. Sometimes there's a there's a shorter line to get to beyond that that time of adversity, and it doesn't mean that you're you're cheating anything or that you're not you know overcoming it. Just just find a different route. But we couldn't do that. We had, there's too many variables. There's too many, uh, the tenure of other athletes, the, you know, the, the pecking order and the, uh, depth charts and, um, you know, there's just so many different things that you, you have to, you have to understand your place in, in the order. You have to understand your role, your role on the team. And that doesn't mean that, you can't be yourself and you can't, uh, you know, be a leader or, or, you know, maximize your output or, you know, try to pull in others and, and rally others. Uh, and I think that was a, a big thing from uh, an understanding perspective for me in that early, you know, phase of, Hey, I don't, I don't know about this, but, but having somebody there that had my back gave me those words of encouragement uh, the, the inspiration that it provided was kind of like a chink of armor that I was able to, you know, put on the body in preparation for, for football games and preparation for, for academics, you know, tests and life and, and, uh, dealing with, with, uh, any potential uh, adversity that came forward and, and understanding that, you know, there's going to be hard times and understanding that there's, there's always an answer and the answer from to adversity is perseverance and work ethic, in my opinion, and having the, uh, the, fabric that was woven in me by my, my folks, my grandparents, understanding that I can and will outwork anything that I had done the previous day and anybody around me gave me the confidence that I could uh, overcome the adversities that were put in front of me. Wow. So then, so then you become the starter. Talk about that now. Now you're named the starter at Boise State University. What did that feel like and what did achievement and then now, because then now you still got to go out and perform. 
but before the execution and performance and getting out on the field, what did it feel like when you're meeting with your position coach and your position coach tells you you're going to be the starter? How gratifying did that feel and what did that feel like? Well, if you remember, it was like a two days before the Idaho game. Sanford mm-hmm. and I were in that battle for the starting position. And Coach Hawk wanted to be the first one to tell me, and he called me in. And it was two days. Like, it was Thursday. We played Saturday. Right, right. With, like, a little bit more uh, prep but um, and understanding. But I think the beautiful thing about, about that process was both Mike and I were preparing to be the starter, as you should right. as a backup, especially as a number two, and even a three, because you like, one and two could go down in, in sequential plays. So the number three really has to be ready to play too. But we were ultimately preparing to be the starter. And we were both prepared. Um, getting that that call to Hawks office, I kind of had an idea because you know the the three scrimmages that we had, I had outperformed, I'd felt like I had outperformed and outgraded Mike on all of them. And then I and then kind of doing the math, we, you know, we don't typically at Boise State, if there's an even, like a dead even heat, they're probably going to give it to the younger guy who's a sophomore and has three years of potential starting like they did with RD. And we just had a long tenure of, of you know, from Hildy having four years, then Hendricks four years, yeah. R3. It just, it, and that was the, I guess, kind of the sales and the recruitment pitch from Hawk and Pete was, hey, we got this guy, Ryan Dinwiddie, who's a stud. You know, he's going to be a great guy to come in and learn from, but you, by your sophomore year, he's gone and you'll have a chance to be a three-year starter just like him. And right. all of that was kind of coming to fruition. V. And I felt like I was, I felt like I was the guy and, and good, bad, or indifferent. You know, I, I was probably overconfident at times, but I, I could say that I've never lacked it. And as right. I've gotten older, uh, Fortunately, uh, humility has has set in, um, and, and I'm very appreciative uh, for the for the experiences and the um, you know all the time, all the teams and the people, um, and the realization through life experience has led has led me more towards the path of humility. But I still you have to stay confident in yourself. So mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of re-engineered what that confidence means to me and what what it looks like so i felt confident that i was going to be the guy and then i get told that and i'm just like cloud nine and like i'm so pumped and just really just ready to play and that first year if you can remember sure you do we we just were like gangbusters man we just we we beat everybody pretty handily we we were on the stage with you know with uh oregon state we played a big BYU game at home and we were in all like these barn burners. If, if there wasn't a tight game, it was a blowout. Yeah. We, right. we remember we won the, we, uh, T Jones hits the 47 yarder to beat Tulsa. Yeah. Then, <laughs> yeah. You know, and we're like six and oh or seven and oh at the time. And then we've got BYU in a big ESPN game and they missed the field goal that would have won them the game. Right. But the, the drive before I hit TJ on a post corner post, you know, big bomb to put us ahead. Yeah. And then, and then Oregon State, we just ended up blowing out at home. And I think Corey had like two or three interceptions. We, we just, to the house. 
Corey yeah. took it to the house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it, it was like, a, and then we played Hawaii at home and have a big blowout against Hawaii. It was just, it was a great season. It, it was, you couldn't have asked for a better season. Um, you know, just for a program, for me personally, and you know, I'll share more as we get into this, the senior year, but that season was so fundamentally sound for me and the perspective of never getting too far, you know, over my toes in, in essence, meaning never thinking, you know, too big of a picture, you know, really focusing on the here, the now. And uh, we just continue to do that play by play, you know, the play within the play. What do you do while you're, you know, calling the play and prepping the team and doing, I mean, it was so detailed oriented and be here now. I don't know if that was, I think that was one of the years that was kind of our motto to be here now, but I, I, that might've been a four, but uh, I mean, it just, it's what it was. It was, it was very simplistic. And I think our, our game plans for as elaborate as they seemed, right, coaches right. did a good job of making them pretty simple for me. Um, and it's just great coaching leadership too. Like I, I came in there, I didn't even, I never looked at a game film of football before my freshman, before my, I stepped on campus. Coaching, right. I didn't know what to look at. Right. So they had to teach me basically like this Gumby, this raw piece of clay. And, and I think coach Pete uh, is probably one of the best of all time. So. No, no doubt, no doubt on that statement. When did you become aware and raise your level of consciousness to figure out that there really is no opponent? The real opponent is Z against Z. When did you realize that and start thinking that way, Z? Um, you know what? There's, and I had kind of a thought the other day that was for me understanding that I want to outdo what I've previously done and, con and consistently, you know, pursue excellence, which has kind of been uh, a staple for me in a, in a life motto, you know, really since, um, and, and the understanding of which since college. Um, but for me, my trigger and the thing that really propels me is finding something or someone to compete with. Mm. And, and that something may not be another person and it might be internally driven, but grabbing that and focusing on outperforming or outdoing that, it, it, that's when I'm at my best. And right. a lot of times I'm able to take a person and plug them into a role that may not be where they currently sit, but but trying to compete against that person or that, I guess, uh, thing to outperform it. Right, and then and then the your senior year, the year prior, uh, Dan Hawkins is during your junior year. Dan Hawkins is is the head football coach. Um, Chris Peterson becomes the, the, the head football coach now your senior year. We got some fellas, right? At, yeah. at I mean, remember when we used to have Jerry 
and who else was the wide receiver? Gilligan. Do you remember when we had those guys? It's like, it's like the three white boys that were 5'10 and under, and we go yeah. out and smash teams. And then your senior year, yeah. there's L.A. running out there, right? Name all those guys. And then, like, yeah. how, did that, yeah. how did that whole change? I mean, because like you said, hey, hard work, hard work will give you an opportunity all the time. But then we got some fellas. Right. Yeah. How does that feel like in terms of the talent and the skill level upping? Oh man, it's so that was the freshman class that I came in with, and that you know the coaching staff did a great job of recruiting those guys. But you're right, we went from winning you know pretty high uh, profile football games with with a group of guys that were big time overachievers. Yeah, to actually to actually putting a squad out there with three, uh, Gerard Rabb, Dryson James, and Leg Dudani, three NFL type receivers. Crazy, and NFL, right. And an NFL tight end in Derek Schumann, and an NFL fullback in Richie Brockle. Richie Brockle, NFL, I mean, NFL left tackle, Ryan Clady, right? I yeah. mean, it just was nuts. Yeah, from that team, Bill, our top probably 24 guys, I think there were like 15 or 16 of us that went on to the NFL. Right. And a lot of guys had extended careers. Uh, I mean, we had, we had two first rounders on that team. Uh, we had a D tackle. Remember Dennis Ellis, probably the most talented Dennis guy. Dennis Ellis could have played in the league, but just De Dennis yeah. Ellis wasn't ready. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so we had, we had guys all over the field, Corey Hall, Super Bowl winner. Uh, left tackle could have been, uh, you know, minus the knee uh, injury. Clady could have went down as one of the greatest ever. left tackles ever, ever to play the game. No doubt. We had guys everywhere. And no doubt. The, the thing, it was great. I mean, we, there wasn't a matchup that I was like, oh man, like uh, there, there's no way I'm going to be able to throw to that side of the field or there's no way we can do what we want. And that's what it, that's why we were so great on offense. We can literally do whatever we wanted and whatever the strength of that defense was, we could do something else if we needed to stay away from that. It, we were not a, a, a one trick pony by any means. We, we could throw the ball, we could spread you out, we could run it down your throat and our play action was as good as anybody's. Um, so we, we did what we wanted and, and what we wanted to do was run first, set a tempo up front. And if you couldn't stop the run, we were just going to run, run, play action yeah, for bombs to death. We did that. We did that with some great, great talent. It was a lot of fun. And in the, the transition, Coach V, from that, that junior kind of slump in which we still won a conference championship. That's right. But it didn't we, end right, right? It, it just didn't. It, didn't, it just, the, the year didn't. It didn't start right or end right. Because <laughs> no. Georgia was on the front end of that, right? Yeah, that, that was, a, that was a, my worst game uh, athletically. And it was just, it was, there were so many things that went into that. Um, we didn't prepare the right way. We didn't perform the right way. And that, that just kind of lingered through the season. I mean, we beat teams, but it was just like, it was never a game where you're like, for me anyways, it was like, man, okay, I'm like back 
in step. Like, okay, I feel right. It was just, there was just something that was always missing. Right. And, and then now, and, and take, we, we're, we're running short on time here. Man, we could do a two hour show with you, but let's get, take 30 seconds. What did it feel like to really overcome all of those challenges to going 14 and 0? I think 13. it was your senior year. 13. I mean, we yeah. won so many games and people go, oh yeah, yeah, you're just bragging. I was like, man, we, we, there was one time we were like 33 games in a row. We haven't lost a game in like 30 something. Remember that time? I went from a GA, it was like Hawks, like second to last year or something. Like we went 30 something games straight Z. So like winning, yeah. I mean, that's just what we do. But in that, during that time for you to overcome all that, and then win the Fiesta Bowl in the fashion that we did, starting fast, but then having to finish strong, right? Yeah. See, how did that feel yeah, like? Take, right. take a minute and unpack that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, uh, that motto, start fast, finish strong, uh, that spoke volumes into our season. It really yeah, did. no doubt. I mean, we, we started fast with, I think I played for two and a half quarters. The starters played for two and a half quarters against Sac State, and we won fifty-six to to a nugget. I think we. I don't know if they scored. Or I don't remember, but I knew it was a pretty big game. Like we we really did yeah, come out just, fast and go. And and that's that's kind of the season. And then we faced we faced some different adversities during the season. If you remember, we we played against uh, San Jose in the early Jose game. State. And then Marty yeah. had to bring back a ball. <laughs> yeah, 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 on the punt Yeah, return. well, Ian Johnson uh, ends up getting a punctured lung. Lung, yep. I, I had chicken pox. I couldn't even do the walk through the day before, if you remember. Right. I mean, it was just, it was, there were so many things that, you know, built up against us. And and that's, you know, you know I've heard you say this, and the coaches say this, and it's definitely true. You know, when you're the champ, you got a target on your back. You're going to get everybody's best. So we consistently had to understand that, be aware of that, but also know that, you know, if we took care of our business, we had enough confidence and enough uh, gamesmanship and enough ability to, to game plan and execute that we were confident that we were going to win. Um, so that's that, that season for me was – going back to simplicity. It was, that's what I've forgotten about going into the junior season. Mm. I, my, I got a little bit out over my skis, as, as they say, yeah, and a little bit out in front and started looking at you know, the, the different pictures and not focused on the details right. and simplifying and, uh, you know, those details, I talked to the, to our youth teams that my son plays on that I get the uh, opportunity to bless him to coach. You know, and these are like little eight-year-olds, but understanding that those small details, whether it's, you know, standing behind the line or right. keeping your eyes up when you're running or not crossing your foot over when you're shuffling. Right. You know, working those details and understanding that those details as small as they may be in that moment, that those are going to be the key differences that are going to win you the, the game when it's on the line. 
Yeah, no doubt. What is the Jared Zabransky? Take a minute, because uh, we're really uh, running out on time here. One minute, Z. What is your message to the world? What's Jared Zabransky's message to the world? I think it has to do a lot with, with adversity and, and understanding that through perseverance and a work ethic, you can overcome your adversities mm-hmm. and that you should not be afraid of failure because failure exists and failure is going to happen to everybody. As long as you fail and when you fail, you fail forward, uh, meaning you're learning from your, your failures and your mistakes and you push forward uh, with those learnings with hope and uh, you know, God is, as your leader, uh, you can, you can achieve anything. And what would you like to promote? How can people that are watching this, that go, I, I need to hire Z to come talk about competition, overcoming adversity. So what would you like to promote that you're doing currently and how can people get a hold of you, Z? Uh, well, currently we are working, uh, on a couple of different projects. Um, passion projects you mentioned earlier uh the philanthropic side of things you know, we, we have this uh, make a wish tournament coming up uh, that we're in our 10th year of um you know i really want to if if people are looking for something to support they're looking for an avenue to support something um you know we'd love to to talk about having you support uh the wishes golf tournament and make a wish organization um, all the proceeds go to make a wish um and then on the athletic development side, um, you know, me and some partners have, have uh, partnered in D1 training, and that's in Meridian, Idaho. Um, and we've got a couple others that are, that are operating around uh, the country. We've got one in Sparks, Nevada, um, and we've got a couple coming soon. So uh, it's just a, a, a passion project that allows me to stay involved in, in athletic development um, it's definitely the place for the athlete. Uh, we got some great clients in, in Meridian and Sparks both. Um, just want to thank them if they're watching this uh, and also encourage um, anyone if they're looking for a place to train themselves or a place for their kids to, to uh, increase their athletic performance. Um, you can get a hold of me uh, via Facebook, Jared Zabransky, um, uh, Instagram, JZBSU5 and and or my name obviously um i'd love to to talk more about both of those awesome and your final shout outs one minute who who would you like to shout out uh shout out you've already given her a shout out but my producer and uh right hand woman vanessa ferguson my my fiance Nice. Uh, shout out to Savannah and Rowan Zabransky, my children, and uh, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Z. Z, let's, uh, when the studio opens up, we're waiting to see when the studio opens up and uh, you and Vanessa and the kids are in Disneyland. C- could you guys take an hour and stop by the studio and we could shoot another show? Absolutely. So we're planning a, a trip tentatively in October, Coach Pete, so... Yeah, I'll book a ticket. I'll fly from up here in the 916 down there, and then we'll just continue this journey and maybe do an update on where you're uh, speaking and also your athletic development training 
um, complexes and the training facilities it is that you run where you are at that time. But I do want to thank you, Z. I know you're a busy executive with all that you got going on. Thank you to our production manager down there outside of Houston, Vanessa Ferguson, for helping with the production services over there. Thank you to my man, Z. Shout out to both Steve and Tana Zabransky. Shout out to Hermiston, Oregon. Shout out Boise State. Thank you so much for everybody for tuning in. If you haven't done so already, check me out on my YouTube channel and please subscribe. Thank you to Island City who powers, produces, and does all the technicalities to make sure that the Coach V show runs. And know this, it's just not for the reason for success that we develop and work to be our best, but the sake of being our best. In doing so, we realize the best of our abilities and that everything and anything, like Z says, that we dream and work for can be achieved. This is how this success coach, keynote speaker, author, and Hollywood radio show host lives all about faith and family. Grateful for God's amazing grace. From your boy, Jared Zabransky, and your boy, Billy Amitafoktaotapealavatuivai, from right here in Hollywood, California, broadcast from the Dash Radio Studios, powered by Island City. Until next Modern Motivation Monday, is your boy Z, Coach V. Till next time, peace. Thanks, Wesley.